Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelley Chopra. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care and the ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. And that could not hold more true than the times we're in right now. Our goal in this series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations, leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. And before I get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episodes and other questions that are top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, Managing Partner at Lumina and an industry thought leader for value-based care. Dan, welcome. Hi, Shelley. Happy to be here. So, Dan, here we are in November, almost seven months since we, as a country, and as healthcare industry have been navigating the new landscape with COVID-19. We have shifted to manage the influx of COVID patients and healthcare organizations are pivoting to adapt to the new normal, new reality that the COVID has brought forth, not only in terms of the mix of patients we're receiving, but how the care is being provided. And more so the impact of that that has had on healthcare operations the financial baseline, and even relationship with the payers. What are your thoughts, Dan? Delivering healthcare services within our COVID pandemic has definitely highlighted a few necessary changes in healthcare. I think one, really expose the limitations of fee-for-service reimbursement. And as we all know, fee-for-service is the predominant way that we all get reimbursed. You're basically reimbursed for the number of patients that you see. Well, when those elective procedures and elective surgeries for hospitals decreased, so did the revenue and the income for many of the surgeons who perform those services. So that's really the first thing. The second thing that it's highlighted is there was a necessary shift, Shelley, going from the acute arena or the hospital for surgical services to the ambulatory or outpatient arena. And that shift in site of service, I think both is an opportunity and a challenge. And then I think the third thing that it's highlighted is it's not all about seeing the patient when they present to the office. We had to actually use technology. We need to actually engage patients differently. We had to use other innovative approaches in order to connect with patients. You know, Dan, the shift in the site of service It is not necessarily a new concept in the healthcare industry, but being forced into it where the healthcare organizations had to quickly adapt to making that shift. It's fascinating to me that you mentioned this is an opportunity and a challenge for providers. How so? Well, I'll tell you, this shift in site of service really caught a lot of providers off guard. They weren't prepared from a payer reimbursement or managed care contracting perspective. So when they had shut down a lot of their inpatient services and they had to now shift some of those services to the outpatient arena, say for instance, colonoscopies, the level of reimbursement was anywhere between 15 to 30% less. The opportunity that the providers have is that they can provide these services on an outpatient arena at a lower cost point than they could in, you know, from an inpatient perspective. But if they don't negotiate some type of a payment differential, the reimbursement that they're going to get from the payers is going to be considerably less. 
payers want to see a lot of these services done in an outpatient arena because the costs are less. But from yeah. a provider perspective, it certainly hurts their opportunity to generate that level of revenue. So how do they, how do they counter that, Dan? Do they need to come to the table negotiating different contractual elements with the payers? Well, this is where value-based care comes into play, because if you're able to show that these services can be done on an outpatient arena, your cost of care, your cost to provide that service is going to be less, yet the outcome is going to be higher. So if you're able to engage in a value-based contract with a payer, you then can get reimbursed for the quality of care and the outcome of that patient yet be able to share in some of the cost reductions that would occur as a means of shifting those services from inpatient to outpatient. You know, what that tells me, Dan, is the way we use data in healthcare organizations has to go through a pivotal shift in this new environment. It's almost that data becomes, you know, comes together at the heart of how we conduct our operations how we measure the outcomes, how we measure the value, and then how we use that as a tool for negotiation of the contract. Well, Shelly, you, you, know, you work pretty much in this space. Yeah. Data has become even more and more important as we're managing through the COVID pandemic, and especially as we start to see the surge in many of the states right now, understanding what's occurring with these patients, understanding how we manage the different shifts in patient, just understanding how we can provide that level of access is all gonna be driven off of the data. And then on top of that, it's not only the data, but it's gonna be how we use that within care management how we use that within patient engagement and leveraging our technology to really support and provide the care that we need to provide to these to our patients. Another trend that I've seen is, is absolutely the usage of data, but also the usage of new technologies that the healthcare systems have had to adapt to, to manage patient engagement, to manage patient access, to really manage you know, how they connect with the patients and provide here, for example, the telehealth technology. Though many organizations had dipped their toes into providing telehealth services, uh, our new reality with the COVID almost made it a necessity. In fact, it was uh, promoted and, and compensated by the payers for the healthcare systems to really adapt the healthcare technology using telehealth. Easier said than done in some cases because that requires change of your uh, care model, change of how providers and the support staff really adapt to those technologies, how patients adapt to those technologies, and how do you then collect the data and measure the various performance metrics using the telehealth technology. So it was a very big shift in the way providers connected with the patients using the new technology. It's probably the biggest shift that we've seen. In, you know, for one of my clients as an example, they, and this was a large health system on the East Coast, they mm-hmm. went from doing maybe 200 telehealth visits a week before COVID to over 5,000 within the first month, month and a half. Just wow. an amazing increase in the number of telehealth visits. And, you know, again, as we often say, the best way to, to change the process changed the norm is to disrupt it. Well, COVID mm-hmm. provided a huge disruption in the way that we've, we provide care. So Shelly, as you know, a couple weeks back, 
Dr. George Maisel and I did a really good webinar, well-received on a lot of the impacts of COVID-19 and how it's really highlighting the need to build a stronger value-based care strategy for healthcare organizations. We went over four action steps and I thought it would be great to play for our audience a couple of those action steps that Dr. Maisel highlighted because it really does support a lot of the things that we're seeing. And I think a lot of the things that you highlighted around data, incorporating site shifts in site, site of service, as well as then helping organizations think about how they need to position themselves differently going forward in a value-based care environment. Hopefully, if nothing else, you are now convinced, if you weren't before, that change is coming and that staying still doing nothing is really not a good option. Doing nothing or, or not changing any strategic initiatives is really making a decision. So we've broken this down into four basically large buckets of action steps. The first is really preparation for value-based care and really looking at your physician integration strategy. The second is redesigning care models that support this, um, pushing toward outcomes. And then of course, Dan's gonna talk later on negotiating factors and value-based contracts and leveraging quality and data. So let's start with the first one, which is really getting ready. Not doing anything is really not a good option. We think we've reached a tipping point here where the COVID crisis has opened up a lot of the warts in our healthcare system. A lot of people who never had financial issues, never worried about patients seeing them before are now worried about financial issues. In fact, that's number one um, issue on, on a recent survey done to physicians. As you know, if, if you're not in the hospital setting, a lot of docs took major salary decreases and furloughs of the staff and so on. The point is you got to change. And the question is how much? And I like to say cutting edge, not bleeding edge. You don't want to change too much because if you get so far ahead in doing all the stuff that we know that needs to be done financially, it's not viable. You have to change only as quickly as the financial support of your contracts let you. But you got to be ready and you got to start doing infrastructure deals. And again, I think the goal is to look at changes that really support fee-for-service medicine now and value-based medicine later. And there are a lot of things, they may cost a little bit of time and money and energy, um, but they really support both. And it's a good time to do that before we actually move on. The other point I want to make that I've noticed over the years is early innovators often get the best deals. So you may not want to be the absolute first in, but you certainly don't want to be the third, fourth, fifth, or last. Because if you're talking about payer relationships and other issues with other physicians, you've got to be at least near the front of the line. So what's happening now? Payers are really doing very well. The COVID thing has been a windfall for them. Um, but even before the COVID, payers were kind of winning the fee-for-service game. And, and you can see this quote, basically, they're slowly cutting fee-for-service prices or reimbursements, slowly but surely. And you're probably not aware of it, but some of your contracts are probably what we would call underwater and, in fact, actually losing money. This can be at the hospital setting where they may or may not have any choice over self-pay, Medicare, and so on, or even Medicare. Um, but even in the practice setting, so um, it, it's imperative that you understand where you are and understand that's, that staying fee-for-service with fee structure slowly decreasing is really not a good option. And, and um, in, in Lean, we call this kind of the boiling frog, where if you throw a frog into boiling water, they jump right out. 
But if you put them in the water and it's lukewarm and you slowly turn it up, they probably don't jump out. So the slow change is sometimes not as noticeable, but uh, the results are the same. So it's really about building infrastructure and capabilities and really understanding where you are. So we'll talk a little more about this, but understanding your current contracts, sharing data and being open and transparent, at least inside your practice and possibly in a larger group. Um, set up physician incentives. Um, a lot of folks are doing that now with all productivity incentives, but that really hurt physicians in the COVID crisis when volumes went down. So I'd encourage you to use a mixed formula of RVU or some other incentive productivity payment, but also add quality metrics, patient experience, utilization, cost, quality outcomes into the metric set um, as a way of getting ready for what's gonna be reimbursed in the, in the future. When we look at value-based care, one of the things we say is no outcome and no income is, is no income. So you've got to start thinking about how, what kind of outcomes you're getting for your patients and starting to those incentive programs now. So you're measuring, you know, your baselines and getting docs used to seeing those metrics is critical. The same thing with staff. Um, this is a team sport. It didn't used to be, but it is now. So include your staff in understanding the metrics and transparency and even some incentives. Utilize advanced practice providers, and we'll talk more about that later, but that's a critical piece of the future. And again, moving toward team-based care where everybody's doing what they can do to help the patient get a better care experience and a better care outcome at, at the right cost of resources. So all that's really critical. This stuff seems obvious, but a lot of groups are running so fast and hard that they're really not spending the time to do this. I label this, are you as good as you think you are? because most physicians, almost all physicians, really think they're doing a great job. And you know what? They may be in the, in the patients that they're seeing, but they don't always know about the patients they're not seeing. When physicians were asked, how great a job are you doing taking your diabetics? All of them said yes, because nobody went into healthcare to not do a good job. But when we actually looked at the data, only 35% of them were actually getting A1Cs as needed. And the reason was patients were not coming in, they're getting lost to follow up, in an acute care world, they weren't always doing a great job with preventive care. So this is where looking at data, running information on your diabetics, using the managed care data to look do preventative care, watching for immunizations and so on. Um, the other piece that was always interesting when I was in the CIN world was about referring to specialists. Often it was surprising, um, Physicians often didn't really understand the quality of the specialists they were sending to. Sometimes they did, but in a, from a data standpoint, but they almost never knew the cost of the specialist. And, the, and sometimes they often knew the experience that the patients would come back and report. So you are your specialist. So if you're sending out to specialists that do a great job on all aspects of care, um, that's going to reward you. If you're sending out to specialists that you play golf with or have lunch with and you really like but it's very high utilization and so on, um, that's not gonna serve you well in the future. So you really gotta start looking at the data. So that's really where it comes down to understanding your metrics. Um, and this is one of the things that I'm always surprised at. Healthcare's done a, a very terrible job at understanding cost. And this includes the hospital and the outpatient. The hospital understands cost in the aggregate, but they rarely understand the, the diagnosis level or the patient level. The other thing I've always been fascinated by where a lot of procedures are done in the office, a lot of docs take time to do hospital rounds, whether they're social rounds, or actually admitting their own patients, and of course, seeing patients in the nursing home. All these things are great things to do, 
but you do have to understand of what it costs you and what the revenue is. And again, you may make a decision to do it, even if it's not financially viable, that's absolutely fine, but you should make that um, with open eyes so you at least understand um, what the implications are. I'm a little biased here, but I think IDNs and CINs are really important and, and not just lip service, real integration, particularly clinically integrated networks. This is a real opportunity to really align the different delivery system parts of healthcare, particularly physicians. So this is really an opportunity where employed physicians and independent physicians can actually get together, work, work together, share data, improve care, and up to ultimately go to the payer and ask for good compensation based on doing good work and getting good outcomes. So this is where you can work as a virtual group, use data to share, to improve care and quality outcomes. You can do some community benefit and you can share some costs inside of the network. This also brings up a critical piece, which unfortunately we don't have a lot of time to talk about here, but it's really understanding who your network is and who your network of providers is. This is where the leakage and keepage piece comes into play. You want to be able to know who you're referring patients to, either hospital or physician. You want to understand the quality of care, and you want to be able to measure it, and you want to be able to share information back and forth seamlessly. So really understanding who your network is becomes absolutely critical. As we look to the future, we're really moving there. I think this COVID crisis has really told us that, you know, we really need to consider these other payment models. The hospital and hospital systems that were capitated or had great risk arrangements really have fared much better than some of the systems that were fee-for-service out there because, again, these are prepaid for care and not truly based on volume. It may be a little artificial, but it certainly has shed the light on, this, on the situation. So things like shared savings, pay-for-performance, bundling may or may not come back into vogue. It's kind of backed out a little bit, but may come back. And then I think we're clearly moving to partial and full risk and what I labeled as OWA, which is other weird payment arrangements. Certainly lots of opportunities to get into a position where we're actually getting rewarded for providing good integrated care. And that's really what we're all trying to do. So now I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about care models. I'm going to reiterate what I said before. You want to redesign the care models to keep pace with the financial models. You don't want to go about hire a whole bunch of care managers and case managers that do a great job at transitions of care and outpatient chronic care follow-up if there's no reimbursement for it. I mean, you like to, it'd be great to do, um, but you really have to link this with the contractual changes that come about and push for both. Second item, it's about workflows. We need to make it as easy as possible for physicians and other healthcare workers to provide care to patients and do the right thing. It needs to be really easy to do the right thing and, and it needs to flow right into the work. It can't be logging into different sites. It can't be um, having a piece of paper and an EMR separate. I mean, it has to be all integrated in one flow that, that supports the clinical visit. I'm not gonna talk too much about the EHR because we could probably spend a couple hours on it, but really understanding the EHR, becoming a super user. Again, this is where workflow becomes critical. Physicians spend hours every night doing pajama time, catching up on their, their records. We really need to figure out a better mousetrap here, whether it's um, scribes or what have you, but we need to um, tame the EHR, which frankly was never really built to deliver clinical care and information. It was really a finance tool initially. Now it's morphing. Burnout and engagement, cannot ignore this. Um, 
Burnout's going to cost us a lot of money. A brief survey said up to 70% of docs had considered leaving medicine at some point because of all the craziness that predates COVID, but certainly COVID has accentuated. So understanding productivity of, and health of your healthcare workers is really important and getting them engaged in the healthcare system by helping them feel like they have a decision role and a, and a participant role. Team-based care, important. So everybody's actually working at the top of the license. And again, reiterating that um, we want everybody working as a team. The physician is the captain of the care team, but everybody has a role to play and we can be much more efficient if everybody's mm -hmm. doing the right thing in that role and communicating with each other and communicating with the patient. So this just illustrates some of the team-based care pieces. Everybody's part of the team. Um, I don't have to tell anybody that's been in healthcare or needed healthcare that the information flow is really abysmal. And so we've got to get better at making sure the right information so things aren't duplicated, things don't get lost, those transitions to care happen seamlessly, and patients get great care by being very cognizant of medical um, use, stewardship, and cost. And again, the medical neighborhood, we're not just one physician or one area, we're all part of a neighborhood. That neighborhood could be local. It also could stretch out to large referral centers, um, Mayo's and Cleveland's and so on. So we've got to integrate all this into our care delivery process. The information has to flow back. And again, I'm going to say what I said before, the quality of care is not just the care that we each provide, but any care that's delivered throughout the whole medical neighborhood or medical delivery system. It all reflects back to the primary care doc in most cases, but as we move toward risk-based contracting, so does the cost. Um, I'm going to say just a little bit about nurse practitioners and, and physician assistants or what we call advanced practice providers. Um, unfortunately, I have not always seen great use of this valuable resource. Um, you know, the challenge is they're not nurses and they're not docs. There's something, they're, something different and we've got to use them appropriately. They do a great job in a lot of different areas of care, but I've seen them in a lot of practices where they're just sort of an overflow valve and that really doesn't work very well. You need to treat them as a, as a resource and a provider. They do bill for revenue. And again, you need to add them to your internal incentive discussion. And again, you have to align that where it makes sense. So people inside a practice are not competing for either new patients or chronic patients or whatever. And I've, I've often not seen that done. So this is a huge opportunity to take advantage of a great team-based care member. And lastly, I want to just talk about primary care teams. And we've sort of reiterated on it through some of our discussion. And again, it fits in a little bit to the PCMH or, um, care model. What we've seen with these primary care teams, when everybody's rowing in the same direction and everybody's working as a team, um, we really see these kind of results with better outcomes, better access, less burnout. When patients are happier, physicians are happier and vice versa. Um, better patient and, and physician experience, and I, I should add better compliance, and of course, ultimately better, better resource utilization, which ultimately is critical for society. That was really good. I always enjoy listening to Dr. George Maisel. He brings forth such practical points, which are so relevant where rubber meets the road on the front end. Being a technology person, it's always easier for me to get into how do we align technology? How do we leverage technology? How do we leverage data? 
when we're dealing with change. What fascinates me is what George pointed out, the impact on people. He particularly talked about the, the provider burnout that has happened as a result of COVID. Not only providers are having to stretch themselves to take care of increased influx and complexity of the COVID patients, the other impact that's happening with the shift in the financial situations of healthcare organization is impact on their compensation. With the decrease in elective surgeries, many providers have had to take a severe cut in their compensation model. So what it has brought forth for healthcare organizations is a need to look at provider compensation strategy through a different lens. How can they shift the model where providers still have a skin in the game, still have a say and control of the outcomes and get impacted for the work they are providing. So shifting maybe from a standard RVU-based model, which is atypical in fee-for-service environment, to perhaps a more tiered, to perhaps a more, a hybrid approach to compensation model that also rewards the providers on the value they produce, the quality outcomes, and perhaps certain other metrics that are relevant in the value-based care environment. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, form follows function. If providers are going to start to shift into value-based care, the reimbursement, the compensation structure has to support it. And I do believe the time is right. You know, as you pointed out, and, and Dr. Mazel spoke about this in the webinar, if provider burnout wasn't high enough before COVID, now you layer on top of the fact that they have to manage COVID patients and the stress associated with that. They're also worried about shifts in their income related to decreases in, in the number of elective procedures and just the pressures related to fee-for-service, yes, has provided enormous strain on providers. And the best way to be able to support that is by creating a different type of reimbursement or a different type of incentive that will come from value-based care. But it's not going to be easy. It's, it's, a, it's a journey. It's a transformation that's going to occur over time, but it has to start with changing the reimbursement stream from payers or beginning to start to negotiate some value-based care contracts. That will then propel a lot of these new ACOs or clinically integrated networks forward and be able to align all the pro providers around a common goal. Absolutely. And part of the transformation is leveraging data to create that buy-in. I think if, if it wasn't important enough for organizations to leverage data, create transparency, create the trust in the data, it becomes imperative now in the new normal, that data is established as a currency that everybody has trust in the quality, in the integrity, and in the completeness of the data, because frankly, that becomes the, the pillar stone of their new compensation models as well. If there is one area that I, I hope providers really focus a considerable amount of change within their organization, it's really how they look at data. And many organizations are still very reactive on the information that they pull together and how they use that information. COVID basically said, look, if we're going to be successful in this, we have to look at things proactively. We have to manage these, this data. We have to manage our patients differently and start to anticipate what's occurring. So I really hope provider organizations 
look at their analytic strategy, look at the data that they're starting to aggregate and come up with plans that help them move to more of a proactive management of information as opposed to just reacting to a lot of the data and things that are occurring within their own operations. So I think it becomes really important for an organization to realize where do they lie on the analytics maturity graph and what steps do they need to take to really continue to integrate data as part of their operations. And it's not just about creating new reports. There needs to be a whole operational and a governance element tied in with it very closely. Well, the data is really going to be the key to advancing their value-based care strategy. So as, as Dr. Maisel said, you know, the first is really to start to align some of those incentives and to begin to think about how you can create change internally by using a lot of the value-based care initiatives to really begin to align all of your providers. I think the second step is to redesign the care model. And if you're gonna do that, then you need to create the right incentives and those incentives are gonna come from a lot of the negotiating the, the new value-based contracts. So you have to negotiate the contracts, you have to create the right incentives, you have to have then the network and have everybody aligned. And then the fourth area, as you mentioned, is really around the data. And we need to have the right level of data that provides actionable insights proactively so we can really manage these patients and really manage towards the outcomes and reducing costs as opposed to just treating the patients episodically within the patient's office. Well, we want to thank you for listening into Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners on the journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to leave us feedback. You can also find additional blogs, thought leadership on this topic, and transcript of our podcast episode on our website, LuminaHP.com. Join us again next time where we invite several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders in continuing our deep dive and talking about the new trends that are emerging as organizations navigate the new normal. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.